if you know anything about me, um, you, you may know that I am a pretty big fan of Apple. Not the kind you eat, although I like those apples too, but uh, like the computer software, the computer hardware that has an apple on it. Um, my first experience, I believe, I may have had an iPod somewhere in there, but the first memorable experience was whenever I got the iPhone 3G, and I thought it was pretty cool stuff, because that was a sweet phone when it came out. Now, I, I don't still have that phone, because since then, I have upgraded to now the, the sweeter phone. And, uh, but soon after I got my iPhone, I, I went ahead and changed my PC to a Mac, and I got the iPad, and I went through several of these things. But you want to know the thing I noticed about Apple, and it's not just Apple, it's any tech, technology company. As soon as you learn what you got and get excited about the new thing, the new device you have, they come out with an upgrade. Do you notice that? And as soon as they come out with the upgrade, you, I, I, my mind begins to work thinking, you know, there are some things about my current device that I don't really like, but if I upgraded, I would get this and that. Now, I know I'm not alone here, but I also know not everyone thinks this way. I mean, I'm pretty sure Rusty still has his iPhone 3G. I'm not fully sure. <laughs> it may be a 5, but, you know, not everyone thinks like I do. But here's the thing. A lot of us want an upgrade, don't we? Maybe not in the technology, maybe, maybe some of us just aren't so sure about the technology stuff, but we want an upgrade in a lot of our life. Think about it this way, in our physical health. We don't want a blank slate completely, now maybe you do, but there's some things that you might want to keep about who you are physically. You just want to upgrade it. You want to be healthier. You want to maybe be prettier. You want to change a few things. You just want an upgrade in our mental ability. We really don't want to wipe it all off and start with a clean, clean slate. We want an upgrade of the things that we already know. We want to grow a little bit more, maybe a little bit deeper, broader, whatever. In our marriages, we want to upgrade them. In our parenting skills, we want to upgrade it. In jobs, in anything in life, we pretty much want an upgrade. And that's not a problem in and of itself. The problem, I think, comes whenever we apply this upgrade mentality to our Christian walk. See, most of, us think, most of us think that we live pretty good lives. We're pretty good people. And to honor God with a pretty good, all we need to do is be a little bit better. And so we feel like our spirituality, all we need to do is get a little upgrade and we'll be fine. Because we have done so many good things, surely that's at least part of the journey Jesus, in John chapter 3, runs across a man that seemingly wants an upgrade to his spiritual walk. But what Jesus offers him is not just an upgrade, it's something radical. The story starts in John 3 like this. John 3, verse 1. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? All right, Nicodemus has the right kind of 
response to a crazy, uh, seemingly crazy thing that Jesus said. But I want to also know that I think, I think there's more to this story than what is recorded by John. Because it feels like all of a sudden Jesus' comment comes out of left field. It doesn't feel like it fits within the context of the story. So I'm going to guess that there's a little bit more conversation going on. But maybe the background can help us understand a little bit more. You see, Nicodemus is a religious leader. It says so. He's a Pharisee. The next few verses actually tell us that he is a respected Jewish teacher. Now, this is a man that was respected in, the Judea, uh, in, in Judaism as a Pharisee, as a teacher, as a rabbi. And he sees Jesus, and he hears Jesus, and he recognizes that Jesus has authority. And his authority, he recognizes that Jesus is bringing a message from God. But see, in this time, it was uh, a lot of his peers, Nicodemus's peers, were not accepting Christ as that. Even though Nicodemus was seeing it, he knew the political makeup of, of the world that he lived in, and he knew that it would not be a good thing for him to approach Jesus about these questions publicly. So he shows up at night, and he asks a question. And I'm wondering, or in the, in the conversation, he really doesn't ask a question in here, but I think implied within this is this question of how can I get an upgraded spiritual life? Everybody would have considered Nicodemus a pretty good guy. He knew the law. He followed the law. He was a Pharisee. He was a, he was a good guy. But Nicodemus knows Jesus is preaching something more. How can I upgrade my goodness to be what God is calling. But notice what Jesus says here. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, most of us are going to jump to a, a conclusion, which is an absolutely right conclusion, that we know where Jesus is going here. We know that he's talking about baptism. We know that he's talking about that going into the watery grave, coming up again as newness of life. We get that because we know the rest of the story. But put yourself in Nicodemus' sandals for a second. Nicodemus has known of baptism, but not in the same idea. It was a Jewish practice to have baptisms, but not with the understanding of what Jesus is talking about here. This is a new concept. And so Nicodemus says, wait, wait, how's this happening? I mean, it's kind of weird, Jesus. How am I supposed to, as a grown man, go back into my mother's womb and be born again? It's a mental image that I don't care for, but he's asking for it, saying, how, how does that work? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can produce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. What Jesus is talking about here is not second birth from your mom's womb. He is talking about a spiritual birth that is effective because of water and spirit. Not just the act of getting wet, but the act of getting wet along with spirit involvement. That this is creating something new. In fact, what Jesus is talking about is a newness of life. 
That's what birth is. It's new life. And to be twice born, to have a second birth, is a newness of life. Other passages throughout Scripture might even call this a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, the new has come. In other words, what Jesus is saying here is, you don't just need an upgrade. You need something new. You don't just need an upgraded version of what you are. You need something new because as Christians, we are twice born. We are born twice. Then that second birth brings, a, brings about something new. But here's the thing. Most often, our world and our mentality thinks in firstborn identity. Most of us, when we approach lives, when we approach questions of our life or questions of other lives, we think in firstborn mentality. Let me illustrate it by this. We consider ourselves uh, white, black, Hispanic, Latino, Chinese, or whatever. Or maybe we consider ourselves male, female, bi, gay, straight, or whatever. Or we consider ourselves tall, or short, fat, or thin, happy, or, you know, dramatic, or whatever. Or maybe even we consider ourselves Republican, Democratic, Independent, Socialist, or whatever. And we have all these firstborn categories in which we can put our little mark in saying, this one is me. In other words, what a firstborn mentality gives us is a lot of the questions about our identity. If you think about our identity, it's the questions of who are you or, or who do you think you are? Where did you come from? What do you do? What are you known for? What's your ancestry? What's your family heritage? What are your vital stats? Are you healthy? What are your experiences? What are your thoughts? These are all firstborn ideas. These are all the ideas that are, are given to every bit of humanity. These are not unique to Christians. This is human experience. Is that all of us consider we, are, we fall into some kind of category. And there's a lot of problems with that kind of thinking. Whenever we want to simply upgrade our firstborn status. Well, you know what? I want to be a good American Christian. And I'll stress the American first. So to be a good American Christian, that means that I want America to be a better country so that, so that Christ's kingdom will look a little bit more like America. That's problematic thinking right there. If that's the reason you want America to be in a better country, then it's problematic thinking. That's first world thinking, first born thinking. And you're missing the point. If we think, well, I can just be a better version of who I am. So if I'm you know, short, maybe I want to upgrade to be tall. Or whatever you might want to throw at this upgrade idea. Just be a better version. But here's the thing that we need to understand. That firstborn identity, although it is absolutely part of who you are, your firstborn identity is not a requirement to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Who you are, what you were born into, what you were born with, the some of the choices that you've made, they are not the requirement for your entrance exam. What the entrance is, is if you're born again. If you are twice born, 
That's the big deal that Jesus is telling Nicodemus and over and over and over again in Scripture. It is talking about this is what is really important, to be born again. In fact, look at Galatians 3.26, says this, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We're going to get back to that passage because that has some huge implications. But later on in Galatians 6, he says, it doesn't matter whether we've been circumcised or not, or I'm going to just throw in any of the firstborn identities. Because circumcision was a firstborn identity for the Jews. It doesn't matter whether you've been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. What counts is whether we've been twice born. Let me put this simply. There is only one salvation issue. It is to be twice born. Let me, let me flesh that out for a second. If someone says, well, that's not a salvation issue, what they're saying is that there is a list of things that I'm going to fight tooth and nail for to defend because these are entrance into the kingdom of heaven deals. And everything else, eh, it's negotiable. What that means in practice is someone can come to a church setting and fight tooth and nail against uh, or, or against or for um, the issue is, let's say, women's roles in the church. And they think that is a salvation issue. But then they go home and they beat their wife because they don't think that's a salvation issue. You see the problem? Is whenever we define salvation issues, we get to pick and choose what's really important, what really matters, then we are our own God and we are not following the God of the Bible. But whenever we understand that to be twice born is what Christ points to, what Paul points to, what Peter points to, what all the New Testament is pointing to, that this is a big deal to be born again. That is the salvation issue. Everything else, it's not that everything else is not important. Oh, believe me, it surely is. But it's a discipleship issue. It falls into another category. It falls into the category of how we live in light of our status of being twice born. And that's why firstborn, secondborn matters to be born twice. Is because everything else is going to be seen in light of that. Every bit of our discipleship is going to fall into the understanding of whether we are simply born once or born twice. So what does it mean to be twice born? What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, twice born, I'm going to give you three C's. Maybe you'll remember one of these, all right? It means you're cleansed. To be born twice means that you can take the baggage of your firstborn status and get it washed, get it removed even. Your sins are removed. You are cleansed. You're made profoundly new. You're converted. That means you're changed, and also it means that you are converted, uh, is a change from something to something. Maybe a better word for this is that you're adopted. You're now adopted into a spiritual family that is spiritual, or spiritually led, Lord willing, and you are commissioned. 
See, whenever you are twice born, you now enter into another family. This second family has a plan. This second family has a purpose. This second family has true meaning. Firstborn people are always searching for the meaning of life. Secondborn people are living out the meaning of life. Because we understand we are commissioned in this life. John 3, Jesus talks about that there's, in this secondborn, this twiceborn idea, there's something spiritual that is going on. He says you're born of both water and spirit. That there's something spiritual. We know baptism is meant to be a physical and spiritual event. It's meant to be both. This is why we do it together and with the confession that Jesus is Lord, he's our Savior. And we go down into the waters of baptism, we ask him to forgive us of our sins because only he can do that. And we ask for the gift, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that is promised in this twice-born life. We understand that this is happening, but maybe the thing that we forget, maybe where we often go astray is we think baptism is often just an upgrade to the life that we've had. Jesus understands it as a new birth, a new creation, a new identity. Maybe the best way for us to understand this is in the word adoption, that we are adopted Romans 8, 14 and 16, through 16 says this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Notice the Spirit part. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you've re- received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. For his Spirit joins our, with our spirits to affirm that we are God's children. I think adopted kids and adoption families understand this idea better than most of the rest of us. Have you ever noticed that there is something about adopted kids that resembles their adopted parents? You know, whenever people look at my kids, you know, they go to school and, and they see me, they're like, oh, you must be Zoe's dad. You must be Michaela's dad. You must be JC's dad. You, I don't even have to say a word. They're looking at my facial features. They're looking at my smile. They're looking at certain things that I have passed down to my children. And some of which, I'm sorry, I I just got to apologize to my kids. (laughs) Sorry. They got their looks from their mama, thank goodness. All right. That's, we know physical DNA. We know that's how it works. But have you ever noticed that there are some adopted kids that you know exactly who their parent is? And it's not because of those physical characteristics necessarily. What it is, is it's an adopted DNA. And it's beautiful. I mean, I know some, some of you have adopted, some of you were adopted, and, and you may have different stories in how this works in your life, but here's the thing. When it's done in a beautiful way, I mean, there's a choice going on here. And there's a picture of what Paul is trying to paint for us. When we are baptized, when we enter into a second birth, we are given an adopted DNA from the Spirit. 
This isn't just what was given at the beginning of creation whenever God breathed life into all humanity, that all of us are his children by that token. This is a choice that we say, I want to be a part of that family, and he gives us this indwelling of the Spirit that makes us, a, our, it changes our DNA. It changes how we approach life. This understanding of our twice-born status should change how we view all of our firstborn status. When God at the right time, uh, when at the right time God sent a son, born of a woman, subject to the law, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, promoting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you an heir. Since you are his child, everything should look different. If you are twice born, how you view firstborn identity should be different. In other words, if we truly live this out, if we truly were in a twice born idea, then we wouldn't be tempted in our firstborn status to segregate because of race. We wouldn't be tempted to hinder people because of their gender in their walk with the Lord. We wouldn't be tempted to not welcome those who are a different political or socioeconomic status because we are twice born. And those firstborn identities are not part of the entrance exam. Those firstborn identities may be part of our discipleship plan of what it looks like to live out a twice-born life. Let me put a little bit more flesh on this. What this means, if you're twice born, what this means is that if someone, if you came this morning and someone was sitting in your pew, in your pew that's not a problem. That's family. It doesn't matter who they are, what they look like, what they smell like. Because we all know some of us can st- smell pretty bad, right? But here's the thing. Whatever they look like, whatever they smell like, whatever they act like, whatever they identify as, if they're twice born and you're twice born, they're family. And if we could wrap our minds around that, and if we could wrap our actions into that, I think we might be on to what God has called the kingdom of God to look like. What he has called the church to be like. Now, one more point for us to understand. This does not mean that firstborn identities are no longer in use. Because I believe that's a disservice to how God created us. In other words, let me put this as simply in in a racial understanding, is that we are not called to be colorblind. Have you ever heard that used before? Well, I, I, I just don't see color. I believe that's a disservice to how God created someone. Just because you don't see it doesn't mean God didn't create it that way. Well, I just don't see the gender, and I don't see this. No, they are there. Those first born statuses and identities, they are there. We are not called to be colorblind. We are called to be colorful in our worship, where everyone is invited to worship with us as part of this adopted family that none of us could have done by ourselves, but all of us need the Spirit living in us because we are twice born. This is family. 
And whenever twice-born family gets together and praises God, look out, world. Because we have something now that this world will not understand. Because this world is so focused on dividing between all of these different firstborn ideas. And in Christ, there's neither slave nor free, male nor female, Jew nor Gentile, or you name the category. Because in Christ, we are all adopted children. So this morning, if that sounds like a family that you want to be a part of, that sounds like a family that you've been longing for and you've never fully experienced it, maybe you have given your life to Christ through the waters of baptism, but you have not seen the church the way it should be. Don't mishear me. We're not perfect here. We're struggling with this. But we're striving for the perfection that Christ has shown us. So if you want to be a part of a, a local family, we'd love to have you part of this family. But if you've never given Christ, called him your Lord and Savior, and given your life to him through the water's baptism and become second born by water and spirit, then I want to invite you into a family that is absolutely amazing. Not because of necessarily who's in it, although I think y'all are amazing. It's because of who is in charge of it. It's because of Christ. It's because of what God has given us, and we can call him Abba Father. So this morning, if you are in need of becoming twice born, or if you're in need of becoming more of that family that understands a twice born status, then I want to welcome you to find one of our elders or ministers who will surround this auditorium. Talk to us, or talk to your neighbor, that's fine too. Would you let it be known though as we stand and as we sing together?